Pedro. 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 And boy, is there ever an episode for this actual for a Jaws reference to actually be thrown in there. Reference is a <laughs> reference is, is is a weak word, I would say, in this week's episode of uh, for for what this week's episode is to Jaws. <laughs> I so when we did our preview last week, um, one of our takes that's the hottest as of right now is mm-hmm. predicting. There's, what, eight episodes, seven episodes of the season? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the last two are going to be the arc of, you know, what setting up next season. Um, we thought that this week, um, this is Pager Boys on Pete. Um, we thought that it was going to be setting up, you know, one, two, three episode arcs. And then after that, we had said very nonchalantly, like, and John Favreau is just going to steal some tropes from other movies but funnily enough though now that you're in the back of my head i was like i swear i said something about jaws last week and i now you bring it up i think i said something about there being a boat and so i wanted there to be a shark or something but i mentioned jaws last week and lo and behold i mean coincidence or now trying to get around the terms of my nda to his credit Johnny F's. We did say he was just going to steal a bunch of Kurosawa films, and he still <laughs> might do that, for sure. But here, here's the funny thing. My so my dad, um, who senior. only listens to the podcast when I call him out, and that's only because a family member is like, "Hey, did you see Pete called you out on the pod? Pete called you out on the pod." Well, this one's a. Mr. Pete, thank you for joining us this week. This one's a positive one. He actually watched the first episode, and my mom basically forced him to watch it, but he watches old westerns. Like, he's a big John Wayne fan, even though John Wayne's being canceled right now. Um, but he was he was absolutely dying because he's seen all these western movies and just them throwing in these characters like, you know, even uh, even the spittoon, which is now kind of gross with the whole little Yanni stuff, but we'll get into that. Um, he was just absolutely dying seeing a Star Wars take on a Western. Yeah, they, it was it was really interesting. I mean, I guess we'll get into it. We don't have a lot of time to get through the huge amount of notes I took. So oh, oh really? Like as much as I like to goof off up front until it's all but unbearable to the listener um yeah we're talking about the season two premiere of mandalorian chapter nine the marshal the marshal and yeah there's a lot of it was interesting because like it leaned it leaned heavy into jaws i want to get into that a little later well and here's the other thing too is this episode is so deep there are takes i had that i'm like oh my god we can't get through all these takes and on top of that, it leaves so much filler for us once this show is completed. Like, we should have a conversation about settler colonialism and the relation of Luke and Anakin 
and Mando with the Tusken Raiders. But we're not going to get into that today because we've got so much stuff to unpack just in this episode. So I was like, wow, 55 minutes? 55 minutes? That's the only thing I texted you. 55 yeah. minutes. I, I was like... All right, let's let's get locked and loaded to have a, a jam-packed episode. And it's it's crazy because it's really it's slowly but surely the Mandalorian is creeping up to the point with its sort of longer runtimes. And with this episode in particular, because there was so much that happens, like when you think about the beginning of the episode and the end of the episode, and it's just like, oh wow, that was all the same episode. You really cover a lot of ground. Like it's slowly creeping up to the point where it is just true mini movies because uh, I was talking with my girlfriend and I were watching it Friday evening and for one I was like well they'd never do this in a movie like they wouldn't they wouldn't that's maybe if you're gonna say there's a problem with the Star Wars movies perhaps mm-hmm. they would never do a story like this because it's too small it doesn't rewrite everything you know about everything and totally turn the mythology on its head in fact it has nothing to do with the mythology it's just like a very small um very compelling story but it's also like i tried to sit myself down and try and think like okay if this if this story was pushed out a little bit and so this was like two hours instead of 55 minutes you know we got a little more in the planet in the beginning and you know maybe that flashback was a little longer or something it was like a full movie and this was the star wars that came out this year like if this was just this was Star Wars for 2020 was this movie. So like in the first scene when they're fighting it when he fights in that boxing arena whereas that was like a 3 or 5 minute segment you would say like a 15 minute like James Bond kind of segment. No, I mean I, who who knows how it would be padded out, but it just or even not even necessarily padded out, but just if this was the Star Wars of the year, I think it would I'd be taken aback, but like it was really good. It was a really strong entry to Star Wars, and it was. I really liked the scope of it. I mean, I go back to this example so much, and people are gonna roll their eyes, I'm sure, but I always talk about the Infinity ships at the end of Rise of Skywalker and how just nothing it feels like. It just there's so much that there's nothing. Like one plus one plus one eventually just turns into zero because it's just ships and lightning and nonsense. And it, but then like you have a story like this, and man, Cobb Vanth and Jim Jared light up their little jetpacks and they fly up that mountain. I was losing it. I was going crazy for two guys with jetpacks. And oh really? Monster. But I was just losing it. I thought it was the coolest freaking thing. I couldn't even... Oh, man. I was so excited. I was so excited. And it's so fascinating to me how that sort of scope and scale works. Because it's just, yeah, you know, like on paper, it's like, okay, every ship in the galaxy fighting every other ship in the galaxy. And that should be thrilling, I guess, maybe. And then on paper, you know, that compared to, okay, two guys fight like a dragon. Mm-hmm. But man, those, the math... Is not what it should be, but two guys fighting dragon was so freaking exciting. Oh my gosh. And it all comes back to the, like the scope, I guess. It's relative to the scope of the story you're telling. Or something. I don't know, I guess because it was a smaller story, so but Alright, um, let's let's go beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we're not cutting all over the place because like with the crate dragon, I want to talk Zillow bit Zillow Beast a little bit, but let's oh, start okay. at let's start at the very beginning. Which so we see. Oh, that's who that was. Yeah. 
And it looks like they, they allowed him to, like, that was not a body double, too. But I was... Anyway, I was let's... All right. if whether that was him or whether it was, like, an animatronic or some combination of both. I don't know. It was interesting. I feel like so, it may have just been his voice. Okay. Like Quill style. Quill! Um, and Quill! <laughs> first one of the season. Mm. Um, so we get, we get you know, basically the... In, a majority of the trailer for yeah. the Mandalorian, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, that I, I assume that we're going to see a boat next episode, but we see him, we see Mando on a undisclosed planet going into a fighting ring. And, um, I had previously said that the fighters were, had very, very strong legs and it was a little bit weird to see those aliens as they were, but, Seeing it in person, I I did not notice that as much as I had previously. Mm. So we see Mando, you know, uh, he's looking for Mandalorians. He heard from somebody um, that this guy, you know, Cyclops, mm-hmm. um, Cy Lugiziama, Lugiziama, I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we get a, yeah, I'm sure that that's what that, that is. Um, mm-hmm. And we see, you know, this really cool fight scene. Um, I have no idea where the Whispering Willow missiles, like how he's getting more and more of these. I'm kind of over them. I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of over them. (laughs) Well, at some point he should run out. Yeah, one would think. One would think. And also, when you think that... Batman now. When you think that they would be effective, like in the prison episode when he's fighting, you know, literally the devil and he tries to use them. They don't work, but (laughs) against a bunch of like Darth Maul looking characters that are kind of chumps, you know, it does kind of work. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. Shout out to the opening shot of the episode here with him walking out of the darkness. I feel like it's a nice touch. You talk about westerns and western tropes, and so often westerns end with the hero walking into the sunset. And this sort of sets it up as like another chapter because it's sort of the inevitable the inevitable follow up to walking into a sunset is walking out of darkness. So I don't know. It was cool. It was a good looking shot, and it was I, I liked it. So we get a pretty cool scene, um, a really cool exchange, like. The idea that Sai Lugaziyama are is basically just is just um, looking to peel off the armor makes it sound really gross, but really menacing at the same time. Yeah, but it's also so. Do you get the impression that Mando knows this guy? No, no. Okay, I, I tell because what the relationship was because it almost felt like he should know that that's what this guy does. Mm-hmm. Like he seemed like I'm a guy who kills Mandalorians, so I'm wondering who gave him this tip. Well, it also but seems like he knows covens exist, but mm-hmm. they do. The other covens do or do not communicate with each other because, like, he doesn't know where the covens are. But then he also assumes that there's, that, like a, that there's a network that they all communicate. Which there's like a logical disconnect between those two statements. But that's fine. Well, it might be like a leadership thing. 
Um, like yeah. not everyone in a coven knows where another coven is, but there are leaders within the coven. You know, it'd be really know. cool yeah. as if these different covens are the different houses. So like at some point we see how, you know, coven Ren would be really cool. I hadn't really thought about that of him going from coven to coven. Um, yeah. So we see a really cool fight scene. We see, um, just a classic and line fight scenes in star Wars, by the way. Yeah. We've got like seven different retellings of seven samurai, like three or four different huge jaws references, like one fight scene. <laughs> it was great, but I've often thought like in star Wars movies, mm-hmm. there's no fights. I mean, there's duels, you know, there's lightsabers and stuff. There's no like fight scenes. I don't know if we've ever gotten a fight scene in a Star Wars movie. So that was pretty cool. And we get a really classic line, you're not going to die by my hand, um, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, those, Very Batman those him, hanging them up like that. Those hounds, are they the same hounds that the Tusken Raiders have, or they're separate animals? They're separate animals. They have glowing red eyes, for one. So, But, I mean, we don't see what they look like at all, because I was wondering if maybe they were going to be like Fear Nox or whatever from Rebels, but they just never show them. Okay, so I'm actually curious to see once we've recorded this episode if there is some reference that we're not getting um, to like Legends or something, but... Not likely. We're pretty hip. Yeah, those are loath dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, loath dogs. Yeah, they're, those are loath dogs. Everybody Remember knows that. they decided that there's such a thing as loath bats? <laughs> really? Oh, man. So um, that's it's a really cool opening scene. I would say it, this opening scene compared to the season one was mm-hmm. a lot better. Um, that's a good, interesting, interesting. But also the scope is different. Like we know Mando, so we can get more into into things. The first mm-hmm. episode, we don't really know Mando all that well. We don't, you know, we don't know the Razor Crest. We don't um, have any idea who this person's name is. And then we find out yeah. later that's really dumb. But Jared, yeah, well, I don't, I I rewatched all of season one on Wednesday. Oh, I I, I watch oh on Wednesday specifically. Yeah. I watched I rewatched everything up until the last episode. Um, and I'll I'll say, like the I I think the first episode of the show does do a really interesting job of introducing the character and slowly unraveling information about him over the course of the cold open of mm-hmm. that first episode. I like watching it again after a while. I was I was pretty impressed with it in a way that I was still like when we first watched it for the first time. I was kind of trying to find my bearings in it, but there's a lot in that opening. So I, I think I still probably prefer the first scene of, of season one premiere to the season two premiere. But they're both I mean both very strong. I mean, you know. And they're also doing separate things, right? Like yes, the, yes. you don't really know where the story's going in season one. It's a, in, in the first episode of season one. It's you know right. slowly getting up as it introduces characters. Like we know we got to find a little Yanni's um, kin, and we got to figure out where that is. And you know the first step is finding other Mandos with dumb names. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, we go to Tatooine, and yep, at Cyclops' um, recommendation. At Cyclops' recommendation, and we see probably one of the one of the top you know characters from um, last season. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, Sedaris's character, whose name I don't know. Yeah, a- Amy Sedaris' character um, was just great. You know, um, 
she i hope we oh, i don't know if we'll see it well, well we'll see her at least once more when she when he goes back to the razor crest because we have to see that interaction for sure that's true um but i'm i'm really happy to see her as a character again mm-hmm. and we're seeing some also you know just very bludgeon in your face um level of um growth of mando with the droids and like oh you can do it a once over um mm-hmm. there's not too much there uh we do get to see an, a map of Tatooine, um which is hilarious it seems like the planet's a lot smaller than like most planets um that they can e- you can easily get from one spot to the other um very uh clearly but we get information on get that map from r5 um what's the reference to r5 r5 is the droid with a bad motivator from from last season oh my god peter oh my god i'm so embarrassed right now from a new hope from the star wars film new hope from 1977 this film called star wars Oh, goes, sorry. I was. Oh, oh, oh this droid's got bad motivator. I w- I'm just like more of an R two D two stand. So. No, oh, brother. But that's so he showed up in the background or whatever when they went to Tatooine in season one. He was kind of there. He looked like um, and in the gallery bonus features, they're like, yeah, that's R five. This this episode, we straight up have him called R five. There's a joke about him taking forever and hard to get good help. That goes to the motivator thing. So we have R five showing up, which is cool. We also, I like the touch that Amy Sedaris' character calls it Tatooine. Mm-hmm. Because that's what Luke calls it at the end of Empire, I think, when Lando is splitting off. And he's always like, all right, Lando, we'll meet up with you on Tatooine. That's <laughs> like, Luke, why are you saying it like that? Nobody says it like that. But it's another one of these things that ties into George Lucas's weird like sometimes it's Hoth, sometimes it's Hoth, sometimes it's Naboo, sometimes it's Naboo. You have ATATs or AT-ATs and Dave Filoni has talked about in, in Bones Features for Rebels and Clone Wars and stuff like that if he has the opportunity to work in Twilight versus Twi'lek, stuff like that multiple pronunciations and make both pronunciations canon, he'll take it and so I mean that's I that's a really cool that. that's a really cool like part of the Star Wars universe and just like a part of how we use language, you know, uh, mm-hmm. pop or Coke um, or soda. So I, I, I think that's pretty. I think that's pretty cool. It made me wonder if anyone actually says Tatooine in A New Hope, or if it's just one of those things that everyone know, like. In Empire Strikes Back, they, I don't think they ever say ATAT or whatever. Just everyone knows what that is. They never call him Boba Fett in Empire Strikes Back. You just know that that's Boba well, Fett. Well, uh, maybe we ever hear it maybe Luke said. when he's talking about Beggar's Canyon on Tatooine. Tatooine. Um, or maybe Big says that. It could be. It could be. Uh, and then I'm glad you bring up Luke. Well, I guess I have a problem with Tatooine. Um, but I, we see it, I guess, what's a womp rat? We see a womp rat in this episode. Oh, yeah. Which makes sense because one time, I think it was this summer, I was like 11. Mm-hmm. I said stupid so much, the word stupid so much, that my parents grounded me from saying the word stupid. Okay. Like They were like, you are not allowed to say stupid anymore. You're driving us crazy. Um, and that felt like this episode and the word womp rat. 
where everyone calls everyone a womp rat, or every once in a while both suns shine on a womp rat's tail, yada yada yada, womp rat, womp rat, womp rat. So you see the name enough, they're bound to show up, Candyman rules, I guess. So we finally see what a womp rat is. It's a little rat, and I really made me wonder, oh, is Luke a sociopath? Is that... <laughs> He's going around shooting, in shooting womp a rats. pretty sizable vehicle <laughs> and shooting animals. Well, let's get in. We can jump into this. Also, at- 100% they're going to find a way to retcon it to where he's not shooting real womp rats or something. They're going to be like, oh, bullseye womp rats is where you shoot up. You send like model womp rats. I actually disagree. I, I actually disagree. I think that they're going to retcon it to show that Luke actually had a, a bit of dark side in him so that mm. there was more conflict of like, oh, is he going to go dark or is he going to go light? And the dark side part of him is like shooting down little animals and his speed. Families of womp rats. <laughs> Families of womp rats. Womp rat kings. So um, we get the marching orders to go to Mos Pelagos. Pelagos. Mos, 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 Plago, Pago. Mar-a-Lago. Um, so they're going to Mar-a-Lago. Yes. Which I can only imagine that's how Mar-a-Lago in, um, is going to realistically look in like 10 years after all the lawsuits. Um, but we go there. Mos Pago. Mos Pago. Yeah. So we go, we, we go yeah. there and lo and behold, all we see are a bunch of humans. Ugh. Just this humans left and right and all of these humans <laughs> and one <laughs> yeah like amy Sirius is like i see all different shapes and sizes not not in this town not in this town of just a bunch <laughs> of humans left and right human this person human this one, person one bartender and you know they really hitting really hitting the western like um i was yeah my i was talking to my parents and even even the Weequay is, you know, clearly supposed to be the Indian of the episode that helps the cowboy. Hmm. Um, because there's always... I think? I don't know. I feel like he's just supposed to be a barkeep. Oh, no, no. 100%. Like, on these in these westerns, you have the Indian character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would say that Weequay is, is a pretty good um, connection to that. Which I'm not. I would say that the Tuscan Raiders are because they're the indigenous people. Well, you can also you have in westerns though you have the Indian that speaks English and is yeah. part of the white culture, and then you have mm-hmm. the Native Americans themselves. So I would yeah, say I would fair. say that the Weequay is the assimilated version of the Native American in that, um, and then you still have the. It, you know indians that are, would be the tuscan raiders that that's kind of how i would justify that but we see this um you know uh going into a bar scene um and then we get to see boba sweet, sweet we get to see <laughs> so spotchka is spotchka is made from krills is that what is that how you make spotchka or is Spotchka just like the, the blue shrimp they catch in that? One yeah, episode? is that how you make it, or it just so happens that Spotchka is introduced in that bar? Am I just am I making a connection that doesn't doesn't exist? I don't know. I mean, they're they're very similar colors. Interesting. I don't know. Could be. 
So that's sweet, sweet Spotchka. And then we get to see Boba Fett for the first time. Um, And Boba Fett has seen better days. Um, Definitely not. I remember Boba Fett being a lot bulkier. Um, It is... I would describe um, Timothy Oliphant's character um, as somebody that had to go had like a party that they had to go to. So they go to, they go to party outlet and they just grab one of those 10, $15 ones. They don't look at the size and it's like a size too small. And then they just throw it on. That's how I would describe Timothy Oliphant's character. Um, he has a, at once too tall and not jacked enough. Yeah. <laughs> apparently. So, um, you know, they just lay it, they lay, they lay it thick, lay it on thick with the Western references of like, he has his blaster straddle, um, you know, on his um, buckle. He even has like the like Woody from Toy Story kind of like swagger as he's walking in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, you know, we get an interesting interaction that um, Mando does not care at all about finding other Mandalorians at this point. He just literally cares about taking the suit of armor from a person that canonically has been we've been told is not a mandalorian yeah we're gonna have to get into that at some point this episode i guess i'll say up front i really liked how they like he says let's have a drink and that immediately clues him off and was like oh you're not we don't drink we don't take our helmet off so that's you're you're an imposter and i thought that literally unraveled um in a cool way also, not the first time we've had a great saloon scene. There's a really good one in a Mandalorian-centric episode of season two of Rebels that I that I've always really liked with Fen Rao and um, Kanan. But oh, okay, I'll have to re- I'll have yeah. to watch that. I don't I I don't remember it um, off the top of my head. Yeah, it's solid. It's solid. Um, yeah, let's let's touch on the whole. Not only is or isn't both a Mandalorian, but so Mando, Jim Jared, Jenga Jumanji is. A bounty hunter he's an older person he's not you know 25 I and mean, he's a kid during the clone wars so he's an adult so presumably he's been a bounty hunter for a bit return of the jedi was only six years ago boba fett's supposed to be like the guy so it kind of made me more like well does 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 the man does mando know about boba fett does Mando has Mando heard of Boba Fett at all? And I mean, maybe he has, but he doesn't know exactly what Boba Fett's armor looks like or something. I would Im- he just takes it as Mando. I, I would imagine Fett. he's heard of Jango Fett for sure, but the larger Boba Fett, we just don't know. Between Episode Three and the Mandalorian, the only thing we know is that he's like one of the best bounty hunters, or is at least a bounty hunter that has connections to the empire. Cause there is also a disconnect for that. Like he is one of the top empire licensed bounty hunters. That's true. I mean, maybe Boba Fett's more of a, you know, center of the galaxy kind of guy, even though we do see him on Tatooine. And, and, and also and on top of that too, him being a empire connected bounty hunter, right? We know that the majority of Mandalorians, you know, after rebels, have a hatred have a hatred for them and Mm -hmm. also you know boba fett has no connection to mandalore we we don't even know if he's ever even been there before 
Yeah, and so here's the thing with that that I'm really curious about is, and I, I mentioned in the last episode, for, for lack of a better word, there's like stuff we know about the Mandalorian mythos from Rebels and Clone Wars that is sort of broken, again, for lack of a better word. They sort of break it or, or put cracks in it um, in the first season of The Mandalorian. And I assume in the second season they're going to kind of be like, oh, well, now we're going to reconnect it with, with information. We're going to fill in the blanks there. And I think one of the things is, yeah, famously, you know, the first expansion of the Mandalorian mythos in in canon Star Wars is season two of Clone Wars, where Obi-Wan Kenobi goes to Mandalore. And there, he has a discussion with Prime Minister Olmec about recently having a run-in with Jango Fett. Mm-hmm. And Olmec says, like, that guy's not Mandalorian, he's like a terrorist, whatever. That's also... And they write him off. That's also... And that's all they say on it. But that's though. also separately, too. Like, that would be the equivalent of if in um, Europe there was a terrorist who is originally an American, you know, the U.S. would obviously say this person does not represent the views of this sovereign territory. So I also kind of think that that's more of like a political like this is not us this is not us especially in that right. arc of them trying to remain neutral at least you know at face value right exactly so that's like are we gonna is are they going to walk those comments back and like is that are we gonna find out no that was more damage control that was a political statement I... or as this season goes on are they gonna double down on that where it's like no they weren't mandalorians they're co-opting mandalorian armor or i mean let's 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 yeah. skip ahead for a second and then get back to the saloon i of what the boba fett jenga jumanji interaction is going to be i think it's more going to be like boba fett not re- kind of like a darth maul um what in rebels you know not knowing a lot of the players not knowing what's really happening and then kind of being caught up. So, like, I think that we're not going to get as much information from Boba as we would really like. I think we're probably going to get, like, a emotionally damaged person, and it's more of, like, we get to see this character for the first time as opposed to filling in the gaps and adding to the mythos of the Mandalorian and what that entails. Yeah, I mean, here was my brain trying to put stuff together. And in a way, that doesn't add up for me, but a conclusion that I'm curious about, which is we see him watching Mando leave with his armor, uh, but it seems like if Boba Fett wanted his armor back, he probably would have taken it back by now. But I can't wonder if that will lead him to follow Mando or whatever, but given Mando's task, Boba Fett knows Luke Skywalker. You know, he knows of a Jedi. He is fought a jedi within the last six years and so i'm wondering he's he's seen yoda before too like i'm pretty sure granted like that's what you know he's a kid so all he does is see his dad get beheaded so like you know it'd be Mm -hmm. fine if he does not remember seeing yoda um because they're just jedi left and right um with all of that but he has directly seen jedi before again in clone wars when he gets arrested does he is Yoda there for that? I'm, I I think he might. I think he might be brought before. I don't know. I'm, maybe I mean, at, at yeah, the like, very both that has information Mando could use. At the very least, we could see. Yeah, at the very least, we're going to see that there's information that he could use. Um, so I mean, we can just speculate a ton about that. But let's let's get back to the saloon. Um, 
we get to see, you know, probably your a part where I would imagine you like audibly shrieked when um they got to the jaws part of this episode of yeah i mean they didn't immediately lean all the way into jaws Mm -hmm. (laughs) like at first as any uh monster movie fan might know tremors baby that was of course my first thought tremors graboids um but yeah, as they, it was interesting because as they, it got to the point where they were leaning more and more heavily into Jaws down to, you know, they, they mimic the push-pull shot, that famous shot on the beach where you have the camera zooming in as the camera is physically being pulled away. And it gives that kind of effect where the the character in the foreground and the background sort of shift in a weird mm-hmm. way. When the uh, Cray Dragon comes out of the cave, they do that with Timothy Oliphant. They have the whole dropping the explosives and somebody yelling and hollering about that. Like, are you crazy? You can blow us all up. The whole town meeting with Jenga Jumanji being like, it'll swallow you whole. Very, very much from that. And they were leaning so heavily into it that I, I said aloud, like, well, there's no way they're just going to blow it up then. Because at this point, they're just leaning so hard into Jaws that it's got to be a misdirect. Like, they're surely not also just going to verbatim do the ending of Jaws. Um, but then they did. And so... With Upfront saying, I loved this episode. It was fantastic. We had such a great Friday night watching this mm-hmm. episode. It really set the weekend off on a, on a great foot. I loved it. I'm wondering where the line falls between an episode like this where you say, like, oh, there's an homage to Jaws, I guess, versus, like, a movie like Avatar where that came out. Everyone is just saying, oh, this is just Dancing with Wolves. This is just Pocahontas. This is just yada, yada, yada. When, where where does the line fall where people are willing to give an homage or retelling the benefit of the doubt and call it an homage? And then where does it fall? Where, when does it get into the territory where people are like, oh, it's a ripoff? Is it maybe, I mean, you know, the... Pocahontas, Stands with Wolves, that kind of story is, is rife with colonialist sentiment, and it's a kind of a very dated narrative, so that already kind of is a strike against it, I suppose, whereas Jaws is awesome, but <laughs> it's just interesting, because I, I, I mean, I love Jaws, um, it's maybe my favorite movie, and so I was, I was very excited for it, but it, I just, I always find it interesting where people fall on that kind of thing, you know, when is it an homage and when is it a ripoff? I don't. I wouldn't say it's nece- necessarily a ripoff. What I really like the oh, I'm not saying that. Uh, what I would what I would say is it provides a different perspective and different takes on things that we've seen in Star Wars, and then um, the vehicle with with, the, with with which they use you know a bunch of references to Jaws. I I did not immediately think all of that. Like I, and granted, I'm not. I don't have Jaws t-shirts, Jaws hats, Jaws posters. I've not seen. I have Jaws. <laughs> I've not seen the Jaws movies in probably a decade. Um, <laughs> so for me, as a casual viewer, I I did not. As a casual viewer that does not make that immediately make that reference, I I didn't think. I think I think it did a really good job of w- yeah. where it was and just like logically. Unless you get a lightsaber, which they don't, like a, a, a the the monster of the scale that they're talking about, mm-hmm. there's really not much you can do. I did really yeah. like the restraint that they did, where they didn't introduce a dumb new element. Like we didn't, we weren't <laughs> like, oh, it's coaxium, oh, it's unobtainium. 
Um, that yeah. was a really nice thing. I was like, no, who knows what's in those canisters? You know, maybe they just didn't give it a name. <laughs> um, maybe it's like the Tatooine special. It's it's unrefined shark nadium. So uh, that was that was nice. Um, the one thing I'll add to that before we kind of get into the going off section of um go off of man. boba light and jiminja monkey um <laughs> jiminja monkey <laughs> is it's really cool to see people that like are able to put some perspective of their experience and put it into different situations so like mando is an outsider he is a person that was taken from his home, thrown into this new situation, and has had to adapt. And he's been given perspective of seeing different cultures. So he is yeah, he is yeah. the closest that we get to, um, or at least the most amenable to Tusken Raiders that we've ever seen. I would say Obi-Wan right. is also pretty close. Like, Obi-Wan is able to scare the four Tusken Raiders and New Hope pretty quickly, but I would imagine he's, I would that. imagine he's definitely interacted with them before. It would, it would surprise me if he yeah. has not been able to um, interact. And then here's another thing too is, and I'm, I just kind of thought about it as of right now is there's the, Mando being an outsider and being able to connect on that level, he has taken the time to ingratiate himself into that culture. But also, we know that Tuscans never show their face. So, like, is the Mandalorian just, you know, given this benefit of they have similar cultures, which is why the Tuscans respect Mandalorian, whereas if he showed his face, they wouldn't respect him as much. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really interesting, and I like that. And it, yeah, it's. I think we touched on this a little bit with Ahsoka leaving the Jedi Order in the in the last season of Clone Wars, and then coming back to it with a different perspective. And it is very much like, like you said, he has an outsider's perspective. Where like, I think if you are if you were born and raised in a place, and you've lived a place your whole life, it's very easy for someone to be like, this place inherently exists. This is my neighborhood. It's always been my neighborhood. It begins here. It ends here. It is solid. It is a foundation. Whereas somebody coming from the outside is like, oh, this is this this neighborhood now. This is what this place looks like now. This is who lives here right now. But, you know, I've been all over the galaxy. I've seen all kinds of things. You know, I know who's been here longer. I, you know, um, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. And I, I, I too had the thought about them both having having their faces covered the whole time. Well, and also, um, um, that idea literally just popped up into my head. I was thinking of it more from the perspective of Luke and Anakin, Shmi, Omar, um, Lars. Owen? No, um, Owen? whatever. What are you talking about? <laughs> Klee? Klee Lars? <laughs> Shmi's husband? Um... That's a real name. I'm not making that. His name's Cleek. Um, th- those Omar. all... No, I, obviously it's not Omar. Um, <laughs> you got to roll with it, Josh. We're, we're throwing names left and right today. Um, there are people that, just like in Westerns, you know, they have staked a territory that is not their own, right? Like Mando mm-hmm. says they've been here for thousands of years. The Lars have not been there for thousands of, thousands of years. Uh, that we know of 
so it does get to it a part of you know colonialism western imperialism for that but i i think we'll probably spend a much larger time talking about that in relation to other segments of star wars so we we go and we see the you know really cool scene of these tuscan dogs um i'm sure they have real names um that you know we you know get this interaction where it just continues like mando is able to assimilate himself into tuscan raider culture timothy oliphant um when we get that comment at the beginning where he says he spent some time with that and like obviously like yeah he was just there last season but now at this point i think we can definitely take away that he's he's been on that like more than just last season when he shows up for a day he spent some well amy sedaris also know, has said we haven't seen other than you in years so i think that actually assim- yeah. uh, insinuates that the two of them the two of yeah the two of them have interacted before because he also well, he also I, I, tr- I took that as a reference to last year's episode because he also trusts her instinctively um and well she helped him save Vol- no but, but before he goes out he just entrusts her to not do anything with little yanni Interesting. yeah i'd have to rewatch the episode that would be yeah so we um you know see some um classic scenes of you know the townsfolk and Timothy Oliphant interacting with um, the Tuscan Raiders. We get that really gross black drink that seems like a drug that I also would not drink. Um, and Mando's a little bit of hypocritical think, because yeah, it's like a little fruit thing. Or he's something. Mandalorian. Clear the Mando's clearly not going to drink it. Yeah, he's like I can't drink it. What's your excuse? I'm not allowed to drink. Yeah. It. So. So you have to have two. Yeah, and. That is a really, that's probably like eight or 11 minutes of the episode is them, you know, having conflict and, oh, I don't like you. Oh, you don't like me. Blah, blah, blah. Um, I think one of the funniest parts of the episode was when Mando volunteers his village. (laughs) Yeah. Bold move. Bold move. And let's let's talk about the village real quick and, and rewind. There's two things I want to talk about before we get to that big last confrontation. The first being when the Kray Dragon shows up. We have the shootout is about to go down between Cop Salad and Jim Jumanji in the bar. And then all of a sudden everything starts shaking. You know, Kray Dragon, monster. We don't really see it, but it's, you know, shark in the sand. And they have they have their work cut out with for them with this because the crate dragon noise has become one of the more reviled updates to the Star Wars films when they were released on. Oh, Blu-ray. really? Okay. You know, famously when when Obi Wan Kenobi shows up to save Luke after he gets knocked out, he makes a crate dragon noise. I don't even remember what the original crate dragon noise was at this point, but what it got changed to in 2012 when the Blu-rays came out was. Go watch it. Uh, and so to hear them try to reverse engineer create dragon noises from that, and they they really did. If you go listen to that goofy noise from mm-hmm. the Blu-ray, and it's probably the same, it's the same noise that's in the version that's on Disney Plus. It won't be, like if you go back to the DVDs from you know the mid two thousands, it'll be different noise. Um, they re- they really did take that as their jumping off point, and you can hear some noises in there, and it I boy. God bless them. They're really, 
that they they did it. They really did it. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't stick out. It doesn't sound as so so goofy like it does in the you know re-release. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely there. It's definitely there. And it also sort of ties in with like the Mando points out like, oh, they've lived here for generations. They've been studying this creature for thousands of years. But then in the back of my head, I'm like, can they really fell for Obi-Wan Kenobi's impression? I don't know, whatever. But maybe he's just that good of an impression. Is a force power. Well, also, um, you know, we don't know the extent of who those Tusken Raiders are. Are they like younger Tusken Raiders? Also, you know, he's he's got geez. his force persuasion, and maybe also yeah, they've seen persuasion. him, and they're like, oh, um, that guy's gonna murder us all, <laughs> um, and they can kind of realize that Obi Wan is not to be messed with. So separately from that, yeah, um, that's fair. That's fair. I'm sure we'll get something from that in Obi Wan show. And then real quick, one other thing before we get to this, we didn't talk about when they're first riding out. Cobb Salad and Jumanji, um, we get that lengthy flashback about how oh, yeah. Timothy Oliphant gets the armor. So I I want to say, and I flashbacks, I don't care for them. I don't know. They just, I don't know. I'm inclined, I, you know, he says, I bought it off of Jawas. To me, great. Sold. All I need to know. Don't need mm-hmm. anything else. But also just, I think that whole flashback could be a monologue. I mean, you do get that cool shot where he shows up in the armor and you know we had the blaster bolt getting deflected off the armor so like is that the scar armor mm, you know who knows um i think it could have been a monologue and i think it was, it was, it was interesting that they went full flashback because star wars they don't do yeah very rarely i i would say that the primary goal of that um of the bargain boba's flashback is to show how the rocket launcher works <laughs> that's like the only like takeaway i was like oh okay so you know your little antenna okay. goes down and then you're like bombs away and then he was able to work that out um i think yeah i'm wondering if it's supposed to to double down on no this is like a this guy is a good guy or he is trustworthy or something. i will say I just know. going back to you know this human first mentality um this is xenophobic town when he walks in he says weak way two drinks of spotchka like clearly they've been through some stuff he saved this guy's life and you can't even know remember the guy's name well maybe that's you know maybe they're buddies you know yeah i i was not okay with that but um you know we 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 get this planned um we get the villagers on it we get a little bit of growth from um boba light and then we get into the you know highlight of the episode which is you know um the misfits versus the crate dragon and we get some yeah, terrible yeah. ideas um it does not seem like the man um uh mando is a ta- um a tactician by any stretch of the imagination because he has they yeah. they that that group collectively I think there's a reason why they're in their situation and they live in this god awful town is because <laughs> there's not a critical thought amongst any of them like oh let's put our sheep and then we got some arrows um yeah Cobb Vance is like oh it could come after our our cattle or God forbid the school and I'm like what school um well I think that's more of like playing to a western like you. 
Oh my god, Pete was joking. Oh, ha <laughs> Because they're dumb. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Yeah, so we get um, the digging um, to try and draw them out. It clearly doesn't work. Um, the, the really yeah. cool thing is, at one point in the episode, they talk about the size of the Great Dragon and how they don't realize how big it is that, you know, it could swallow the entire village if it wanted to. And it really seems like once we get the, we never get the full, full size of it for sure. Yeah. I mean, the closest we get is after it's exploded, the corpse, but I don't know if that's yeah. all of it. And, um, we, I mean, we get a, extremely cool scenes connected to that. Um, we get some really gross stuff with like the acid blasts. Yeah, which was very um, strategically done, I think, where it's like, I'm pretty sure it dissolved those people, but it they're keeping it like TVPG or whatever, where you still, like, there's no, you don't see their skeletons or whatever, but it still very much communicate, like... Oh, and in just, like, them. a human-first mentality, too. You never see any of them except the Tusken Raiders get um, acid on them, because those are not people to the viewer, so... Um, Johnny F continues to just harp on, you know, and be a, a supremacist in, in that regard. So, but we'll, we'll, we'll do that. We'll I save it, that for another episode. Um, did you notice the aspect ratio change for the climate? How there were more villagers near the end? Yep. That's what I meant. Um, when, when the Cray Dragon finally leaves its lair right before we get that shot of Timothy Oliphant being surprised or whatever, that Jaws on uh-huh. shot, the bars on the bottom of the screen go away as it's coming out. And for the whole kind of big climax, the aspect ratio is different. It's like full screen. And then at the very end, as he's riding off into the sunset, the bars come back down. We go back to the original aspect ratio for that Boba Fett reveal. But the whole kind of big fight at the end, they widen or they... Uh-huh. Taller, you know the uh, the image um and it was very i didn't notice it when it transitioned to okay but at the end i noticed it going back and so i was like oh, i gotta figure out when they did this like did they just boom different aspect ratio but no they as it's coming out of the layer the bars slowly recede and then they come back at the end um i thought it was very effective i mean that whole conflict felt huge so it's a, it a nice touch. I mean, nice the touch. the scene where Mando flies out of the crate dragon, they're going to play that mm-hmm. over and over again as a Disney Plus ad <laughs> for the next three years. Like <laughs> Disney Plus six ninety nine. Um, yeah, <laughs> they're going like the that is something that if you that that would be the highlight of any movie that they would do. Um. It's definitely was like, oh, I'm going to see this over and over and over again. Great explosion. Um, Great explosion. Yeah. The when when they go um, Mando and the, you know, average Boba go toe to toe with the Kray Dragon. (laughs) Um, That was uh, those scenes were really cool. Um, It was also really cool to see that Mando really had no plan going up to that mountain. Like he was like, I'm going to shoot in the eye 
Um, but that didn't work out, out whatsoever. And it's j- just in, in, in the scene when they're actually on the ground and then he realizes, Oh, all right, I can just go into the monster itself. And well, I can do it. Um, that was a really cool part. I actually kept expecting little Yanni to be at, in some, like use the force in some perspective or another. Right. Yeah. I, I'm glad they didn't go with that. I don't know. I'm, I'm, it's, it's a little too early on to be OP and, you know, Loyani. But he actually took, like, a pretty big back seat in this episode. He's sort of uh, just an ornament. You know, we had that little moment where he's hanging out in the pot or whatever. I think he was just, he, he was just there for the gifts. Like, um... Yeah. Oh, Like, him, sure. him in the spatoon, I was just, I was saying, which was disgusting. Have, yeah. It's gonna be like... Me on election day, um, or, or me yeah. on election day, and then him functionally being a dog on that speeder bike. Yeah. Um, and so that, the fact that he plays this whole episode, and I'm I'm thinking like, okay, so what does this episode ultimately achieve for the course of the main narrative of the show? And it's really nothing, which I'm not complaining about. But Pete, you having the reputation you have, I couldn't help but wonder, like. This episode sort of seems like it was filler. Um, it it certainly it was not what I was expecting to do a one, uh, you know, a two three episode arc to get to the main story. Um, mm-hmm. unless like you know, episode three is when he actually finds a Mandalorian coven, and then that gets us into the actual story. Because episode three of the first seasons, when he, no, I guess episode two is episode two is the sin, right? That is episode three. Yeah, so episode three is the sin, and that kind of gets us into the story of, like, he is protecting the child, he's, you know, going through all of this. So, insofar as if we get to the mission of finding a Jedi in episode three, it's still, I wouldn't say it's completely a filler. What I think that this episode does a really good job of is it builds up to, like, this is the adventures of Jemanga Jumanji and Little Yanni. And I think that this is the best episode if you're if it's a standalone of all of the episodes of the standalone so far. So that's like the um, bounty hunter one with that like little punk kid um, and uh, Ming Na Wen. Um, we have the prison episode, which is still terrible. Um, yeah, and the seven samurai. Yeah, so this is certainly the highlight of it. Um, yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree. Best standalone. I've, episode, I've got so two sure. things that I, uh, we should talk about, and then uh, we should probably. Well, you're editing it, so it's, it's all up to you about how long we go. <laughs> uh, let's go with. Let's, I have director uh, and music. So, this episode was directed by. This is the John Favreau or the Dave Filoni episode. This is John um, Favreau. Johnny F making his Star Wars directorial And honestly, debut. you know, if I was to give him full credit, I wouldn't because this is a production that has multiple moving parts. So he leaned into his pieces that, you know, he knew that were good. So special effects, um, taking stories that he knows people really like, like Jaws, and then throwing them in. So insofar as I give him credit for how much I like this episode, it's because I like the things that he bastardized and stole. 
and that I will never give him credit ever, but mm-hmm. that's kind of the closest I'm going to get. I really love this episode, but Johnny yeah, F. Great. great. Uh, I, yeah, yeah, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I'm sure there was some some shenanigans afoot. Um, I watched this morning. I was bored, and on YouTube, I watched the virtual red carpet premiere for Mandalorian, which Stars.com or whatever did. And you know, Anthony and Andy hosted it, and they had folks calling in over Zoom, and they had John Favreau and Dave Filoni on, and to introduce them, they were like. Anakin and Obi-Wan, R2-D2 and C-3PO, Star Wars is full of dynamic duos. Wow. And they referred to our best friend and our inspiration and our hero, Dave Filoni, and Johnny F as a dynamic duo. Um, and I screamed and I woke up the whole house. Um, I texted Dave to make sure he was okay. He said it is what it is. I'm not going to get into it. It's not worth it. I couldn't agree more. He's a very um, tasteful, consummate gentleman about it, as always. Um, real heinous. Real heinous, I just want to say. Uh, real real low blow. Real low blow. Way to go, Carboni. Or I would imagine Scarboni, because that guy... <laughs> he is, and there. This is a problem with the media, as they sense, they sensationalize things. So you know, it would be enough to talk about a lot of the different parts of this show. Like, isn't it great that we have this new content? Um, the way that we produ- they produce Mandalorian allows for them to produce things in a COVID world, which is really cool. And the mask is, you know, probably a good thing against a super spreading event. And then just some, you know, hard, hard hitting information of like, you know, how they did production, character choices and stuff like that. But that Garboni, he just lights, he sees a fire and then he just gaslights it by throwing this, oh, (laughs) dynamic duos, Johnny F and Dave. And it's like, I get it. People like him for like all that flash and pizzazz, but not for me. Mm hmm. I know, I know Favreau paid him to say that. And I'm just going to, yeah, I'm not going to mince words. I know that he was paid to uh, I mean, we are big fans of the sh- of, of the iterations of the show that they've done. Um, Andy's great, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, mm-hmm. Garboni, like, not Carbone. not for me, not for me. <laughs> I think they're both great, but that was a heinous thing that he said. Dynamic duo, yeah. Our best friend, our worst. So, yeah, right. Uh, they also pointed out the graffiti oh. in the first episode was done by um, an artist named David. David Chow. Okay, so that was interesting. He uh, was talking to Favreau and was like, how come you don't have any graffiti in Star Wars? And then Favreau rightfully said, well, there is graffiti in Rebels, yada, yada. He didn't know that. But yeah, that was, a, that was an interesting touch. So that, that there was an artist behind that graffiti in the, in the beginning there. Um, speaking of that season five or season one episode, episode five with that punk, um, the gunslinger, the one of the Tuscan Raiders has what I can only assume are the Binox that they get from the hot shot oh. in that episode where Mando's like, uh, give me your binoculars and he gives them to the guy. Hey, those are new. Appearance here. Not anymore, punk. Yeah. Yep, that was a nice touch. They make a reference to an empty Sarlacc pit, which I'm assuming is going to tie into Boba Fett. Uh, I guess I'm playing the crate Dragon ate a Sarlacc. That's, uh, that was pretty cool. Got my imagination going there. 
And the last important thing I have also that's disgusting, is... but I I'm I'm sure not, we're not going to see it. Mm-hmm. We have Carabast, we have Sleemo, um, Jedi Pudu, etc. Uh, the Mando does cuss in this episode, and I did turn on subtitles, and it's when the Kray Dragon comes out, and the Kray Dragon is going to go back in, and he says, "Dank Farrick." Yeah, that was... Dank Ferrick. I might have to bleep that out. I'm not sure. I'll look into it. So if you just heard a bleep, I'm sorry. Is Ferrick a reference in... Is that a Mandalorian? I I actually kind of thought that that was... Um, Ferrick was a, uh, the name of a Mandalorian, and that was just like a, a negative thing that you would say as a Mandalorian. I think he meant to say ferret like dank ferret like the crate dragon looks like a really dank ferret okay um, but with that helmet who knows uh and then i also just want to say if i was six years old and i saw this episode i would never be able to talk again and it would have blown my mind I and mean, i probably would have gone into a coma from how cool it was um la- last thing um we are seeing a theme um and we're not seeing a ton of new music from this first episode. We're seeing a lot of ref. So all the music for this season was done during. Oh, was it? Yeah. Yeah. They pointed that out in the, in the red carpet, but I, I also, yeah, it was sort of the, like the soundtrack as of this record, which is on Sunday morning or whatever. I, the soundtrack isn't up on Spotify yet. Like they're doing a chapter by chapter last year. But yeah. All, all Ludwig Gorenton's, stuff was was recorded yeah and it it was it was good and bad at the same time like it was nice to see that they're building on different themes and you know i loved season one so much but i was also looking for new stuff out there too like distinctly new and as of right now i didn't really get that but you know the first episode hits you over the head over and over again with all these references from season one and just like the show, it's like season one on steroids of all the references. Um, so it's not me mm-hmm. knocking Ludwig for it. It's just something that I was cognitively aware of of like, Oh, what's new, what's going to be added. And as, as far as I can tell, I, I didn't receive anything yet. Yeah. And I mean, that might've even just been an intentional choice to keep the, the, the score more, more sparse in line with the, you know, sparse environment of the episode or whatever who knows very last thing i have which i was reminded of when i rewatched season one and when i turned on the premiere uh, i still boy oh boy i hate that star wars card up front of these episodes that they're doing the little music cue and the red and blue lights and it's a oh no i actually moments. i mean i really enjoy, i really enjoyed oh, it the first time I would. I kind of wish that they would do something new, um, but I also. I wish they would just say a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That's enough. You don't need a little brand thing for Star Wars. Um, it's just, I don't know. I, ugh. It feels like they're trying to do the like little Marvel. Yeah, thing. yeah. I mean, I Marvel movies, but I. I um. I at this point, I just don't even pay attention to it all that much. Um, but I also am like not really fully geared into the recap ever too. I don't really pay attention to it much until we get into the episode itself. All right. So we have some listener mail, um, 
about this episode. Oh boy. Uh, it's not my dad. Um, this is from Gary, okay. who wrote in. Um, yeah. Gary? Okay. Um, not sure what the link is between Fett and Ahsoka, but to me, this episode opens the door for Ezra. Filoni clearly wants to link the entire universe through this show, including the sequels. I wouldn't be surprised if Luke was somehow in the show somehow. Well, I mean, like I said, both Fett knows mm-hmm. who Luke is. If he's if if Mando's looking for a Jedi, and he's got a little thing on him that looks like Yoda, and he does come across Boba Fett, and they do more than try and kill each other, it would be weird. I mean, who knows? Maybe Boba Fett doesn't want to help this guy out. But it would it would. As I was speculating at the end of that episode, I ultimately wound up at Boba Fett knows who Luke Skywalker yeah. is. You know, and Bo- Boba Fett knows about about Jedi. It could, it could send him Yeah, away. and I mean, a lot of what happened to Boba, like the Luke scene um, of him using his Force powers, that all hits him really quickly. Um, I am curious, and you know, we... This is, you know, the first... Um, time we've really talked about ahsoka in this in this is um i don't know if there's gonna be a connection between boba and ahsoka because like if boba went up against ahsoka he would die like 100 percent like she we know about ahsoka that she is basically she's she is alive and she's doing stuff in between four five and six we have no idea what that is um, but she is alive and then she gets this, the really cool stick and the really cool hoodie. And then she goes off looking, uh, goes off looking for Ezra. We vaguely know that Luke and Ahsoka interact at some point, but you know, that's not been confirmed. It's just kind of our guess for that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, your yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, and it's interesting. I mean, cause you mentioned like, or that, you know, Gary's mentioned that it seems like Filoni's trying to connect the whole universe. I will say, though, the tendrils here are, are fairly organic. I mean, you think about, for most people, probably haven't watched Clone Wars, probably haven't watched Rebels. Probably never heard the word Mandalorian uh-huh. before, they just know Boba Fett. So they see this guy show up, immediately they think Boba Fett. Boba Fett's a big connection here. So they had to deal with the Boba Fett thing eventually. Boba Fett is, you know, a clone that brings in... All that stuff with Rex, and Rex is associated with Ahsoka, and, you know, what we do know of Mandalorians is also Sabine from Rebels. She's associated with Ahsoka. The two of them become associated um, with Ezra. So it it does seem like a lot of tendrils going out into the wider Star Wars universe, but I do... It feels organic to me, like these, these connections coming up. Um... It doesn't, because I think when you do do that and you reach out to every mm-hmm. corner of the universe, you risk making mm-hmm. it feel too small. But the, the connections here are, are solid enough for me that it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't, it's, it's, it's not like, oh, the villain's your brother all along in the whole wide world. The one guy who finds your brother, you know, nonsense like well, that. Well, as far as a Jedi so, connection goes, too, I mean, at this point... Like, Ahsoka and Luke are literally the only people... They're they're the only names in town. So, if we eventually get to one of those two characters, that kind of makes sense. And Luke is... We know in Episode 7 is a matter of folklore, even out in Jakku. So, 
is the myth of him just starting right now? Um, or has that kind of already been established at that point? I think it probably hasn't been because you would think that people would talk about him being a Jedi and having taken down the Death Star. So maybe that's only um, the stuff of legend for people that are part of the Republic. And it's clear that Mando is not, and that's on the outskirts. That legend has not reached the areas that the Mando lives in and deals with. Yeah, or it could just be he's not interested. Like, that's not, that doesn't affect his life. I don't know. Though, I mean, you would think you'd be happy about the Empire being taken down, given this great Mandalorian purge. But yeah, it'll, I'm, I'm very interested to see where it will go from here in terms of connecting all those things. I think the idea of Luke Skywalker showing up is a, is a big ask. That said, you know, you get Sebastian Stan showing up as a, you know, that kind of era Luke, I, I'd be game, but... So, so would yeah, he. It does seem like tendrils are starting to spread. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for. I would also be willing to play. So thank you for that um, email. And um, I, I have not looked up episode two. I can't wait to get into it. Um, yeah, I'm pumped. I will also say I do still wish that these came out. Like, if you're going to release it first thing in the day, don't do it on work day. I don't know. What are you doing to us? It makes it hard. Like, everyone's got to check in with everyone else before we can talk about it. You know, release it, like, Sunday night. It's a big enough prestige show that they could get away with it. I don't know. The whole first thing Friday morning thing it's, is, still, it's, is still strange to me. I mean, I, I'm glad they're doing it weekly as opposed to all at once. That's not... That, I'll take I think that. the reason's football. But, like, there are enough people that... Mm. Well, I mean, they sh- they show the trailers on Monday Night Football, and they're all part of the same right. production. So they're not trying to jump like Disney and ABC. Yeah, like they're not they're true. they're not trying to bludgeon with content. Um, I yeah, even still, I though, woke up Friday, Friday morning to watch it. Saturday, you know, morning. because I kind of. Um, blocked off 30 minutes and then when I saw it was 55 I was like oh <laughs> not watching this in the morning um, but you know what That's that was a pleasant surprise if they continue to have episodes that long great if the episode goes back to it's normal time yeah. that's fine too um, yeah it does feel like we're in for like an 18 minute episode yeah Boba goes on a 10 minute monologue where Jenga Jamani is just sitting and then said, man, boom. I'm so excited. I'm so excited for that. Like I finished that episode and I was just like, I want a hundred more episodes of this right now. But at the same time, I'm glad I don't have them all. Cause I would have already been through them all and it'd be over, but I'm, I'm really excited for this next episode. I'm excited for we to like to have seven more of these. I'm yeah. I can't wait. It feels good. To have and I, I mean, I've got a bunch of so. takes on that last scene with Boba, but let's let's uh, save that for the next pod. So, um, if you want to email Great. us, poboyspodcast at gmail.com, our Twitter, Instagram, at poboyspodcast, and we will see you for episode two, chapter 10. The Boba. The Boba. I'm just saying he probably didn't even get a show. <laughs>